scariest thing that could happen to the Steelers in 2020 is Ben Roethlisberger getting hurt. So, I'll presume that the second single scariest thing that could happen to the Steelers in 2020 is that the guys in front of him entrusted with protecting him from harm would be getting hurt. And, uh, yeah, that's kind of where we are right now. Good morning. Good Thursday morning. I'm Dan Kovacevic of DK Pittsburgh Sports and the newly reborn DK Sports Radio Podcasting Network. I'm going to talk about this little podcasting network later on in the show because we're we're doing kind of well and we're kind of happy about it. And it feels like it's worth it sharing with you since you're obviously the reason that it's happening. But first, first priority, of course, is always keeping the quarterback upright in this town. The Steelers have their home opener coming up Sunday against the Denver Broncos. They began their week of practices for that yesterday over on the south side. And when they did, they were missing four of their original five starting offensive lineman. Yikes. <laughs> I mean, even though, you know, in a couple of cases they were either expected or understood, like Marquise Pouncey always gets Wednesdays off on a regular week. He's on a short week. He's older. He and Ben Roethlisberger both watched practice from the side. The biggest and maybe the most deflating development was that David DeCastro still still wasn't out there. And I say it with that intonation because from the very beginning of training camp over at Heinz Field, when DeCastro wasn't immediately out there, Mike Tomlin and all concerned continued to paint him as if he were immediately around the corner. And Tomlin did that again Tuesday of this week, saying, you know, we'll see, uh, you know, Dave might be out there tomorrow. Well, yesterday was, in that context, tomorrow, and Dave wasn't out there. DeCastro has a knee injury. What we've heard at DK Pittsburgh Sports is that he had it originally entering camp, had a setback, so they pulled back on the reins a little bit and decided to give him some extra time off. And maybe that time off was, you know, wink, wink, quality of the opponent, whatever, meaning the Giants, but he's still not back. And now you're down to a week where there are only two practices and a walkthrough, but really, DeCastro, if he doesn't practice by tomorrow, he's not going to play. That's been a Mike Tomlin uh, unwritten rule for years. He, he wants to see you on the field Fridays, not on Saturday when they're just basically doing a walkthrough. So in the absence of DeCastro, in the absence of Zach Banner, who's obviously lost for the season, he's going to have surgery on his knee tomorrow, torn ACL. And Stefan Wisniewski, who's got a pectoral injury of some kind that Tomlin seemed to play down, but he still wasn't out at practice either. Uh, let's do this the easy way. Let's go left-right with this offensive line. On the left is Alejandro Villanueva, uh, left tackle. Left guard, unless he ends up getting moved, 
will be Matt Filer. Pouncey is presumably healthy and fine. At least he, he was on the injury report. He was just listed as coach's decision. Right guard is either DeCastro trying to work off a lot of rust or, you know, <laughs> I'll get to filling in that blank in a bit. And then right tackle will be Chuksakora for who's perfectly fine. That doesn't sound all that bad, especially if somehow Dave can get back on the field today. If he can't, if he can't, I really believe that Kevin Dotson, the rookie, will be out there at right guard in place of DeCastro. Um, yeah. So you'll have a rookie there, and you'll also have Chooks, who he's had some experience on an NFL field at right tackle, but it's still not ideal. And listen to Ben's voice when this subject came up yesterday in his weekly session. Well, injuries always concern you, especially when it's the guys protecting you. Um, and so I, I felt absolutely horrible for Zach. He busted his butt to get out. Um, here this year to be in great shape to be our starter and he earned that job he wasn't it wasn't given to him he earned it and so um, you know the first game I, I just felt bad and we, we texted a little bit last night and um, just told me thinking about him praying for him and, and to keep his head up because the story's not done yet and um, so we we will miss him but we also have confidence that Chukes will, will do the job it was a close battle I think I'm you know from from what I hear from coach Tomlin so uh, we'll need Chooks to step up, who has playing experience, and so we'll uh, we'll expect him to do great things. The Broncos don't have Von Miller all season, and that's a break for the Steelers. He's a world-class pass rusher, one of the best players in the National Football League at any position, has been for quite a while. But the Denver front can still get after you. The Denver front still has players who can penetrate, players who can disrupt. And when the Steelers' two least experienced guys are on the same side of center, the Broncos can do a little bit extra to load up in that area, try to confuse the younger guys, stunt them, work them a little bit. The way we saw kind of the the Giants doing with the Steelers on that side of the line early on in the game Monday up in East Rutherford. Uh, that's ominous. At least it's not Ben's blind side, but it's still not a great situation. I'm in no position to urge or rush David DeCastro back onto the field. But know this in advance, if he does make it out there, the whole look and feel of the Steelers' offense heading into this game immensely improves. Because now you'll have four of the five basically being really good, solid guys, and your only question mark will be Chooks, who just had a terrific camp. The only thing Chooks did wrong to lose out in his training camp battle with Banner was that Banner was just a little bit better. That's it. So DeCastro is the swing vote here, and a really, really big one at that. Can't be overstated. 
DeCastro is an all-pro. He's legit. He is, when he is at the top of his game, one of the very best at his position. Even if he goes out there rusty, even if he goes out there not necessarily 100%, and again, I'm not doing the rushing or the urging or whatever. It's not like I have any say in this anyway. But I am saying that it would be really, really a welcome development if he were to be available for this game. If not, we're going to find out an awful lot about the two young guys on the right side of the line in a raging hurry, maybe in a bigger hurry than anyone would like. When we come back, something else about the Steelers' offense. Only this one's got me not so much fearful as it does. We'll see. We'll see. Sunday at Heinz Field. It's the home opener, and yet, you know, it's just going to be 68,500 empty yellow seats. Not ideal. Not really even a home opener. You know, eventually, when they actually open the home and allow fans in there, I'm going to feel very comfortable calling that one the real home opener, even if it's just a partial crowd. Jerry Jones the owner of the Dallas Cowboys, announced, which I guess he has the authority to do in the state of Texas, that AT&T Stadium, the monolithic home of the Cowboys, will be a quarter full for the Cowboys' next game. Now, that place holds close to 100,000 people when it's really crammed. I'm not picturing that Jerry's going to have the gumption to put Twenty to 25,000 people in there, but who knows? They had 16,000 at Arrowhead Stadium in Kansas City. And once the door is open, the door is open. We'll see how that goes. I'm way more interested right now as it relates to the home opener and who's going to be the starting running back. Not that I'm in suspense over it, but I'm interested in it. The reason I say I I don't see suspense here is that if James Conner's healthy, they're going to go with him. They just like him. Uh, They, for reasons I don't fully understand, they trust him. No matter how many times he ends up on the sideline in the first quarter, second quarter, third quarter, whatever it is, in the game the other night in East Rutherford, he was out after three series. And they're still going to go right back to him. Benny Snell comes in without really getting any snaps, any significant action until the second quarter, and still winds up with 113 yards on 19 carries. Three really significant runs in that group, but none that really threw the stats out of whack. He ended up with a 5.9 average. And that's pretty much the pace that he was operating at. He was always getting something. Even when there was nothing there, he was burrowing a tunnel through a pack of people or he was finding a way to push them back a little bit. He was running with energy. He was running with fire. He was running healthy. He looked like someone 
not just prepared to be an NFL starting running back, but someone who already is. He made a leap. Mike Tomlin challenges these younger players, the rookies. The second year is your big year. He pushes that all the time with everybody. Second year is your big year. This is the year you're expected to really blossom, to emerge, to break out. Benny Snell's second year. The start of his second year, he goes out and does that. And he might well be standing on the sideline. Now, today is also the day at practice where, in addition to you know maybe there being some kind of signals sent or relayed as to who will be that starting running back, we hear from both coordinators. So Randy Feetner and Keith Butler will be speaking with reporters after practice, and maybe there will be some kind of clues in there from Feetner to that end. They're usually not that hard to pick up. And if you just hear them glowing about James Conner, he's going to end up being the starter. They love him. Have I mentioned that yet? They love him. Did you see the script that that offense took to the field Monday night? Did you see that? Understand, please, that this entire coaching staff had months, not a few days, months to prepare for that night. And all they did was Connor left, Connor right, Connor up the middle, throw to Connor, Connor back up the middle, throw to Connor again. It was as if the Steelers took the field like with a high school offense where they just have the one player that you have to feed constantly. News flash. When Connor's at his very best, he's not worth that kind of repetition. I semi-joked in the press box later in that first quarter that Tomlin and Feetner were basically just trying to see how quickly they could get Connor hurt. Lo and behold, that was the end of that. But then Benny comes in, and all of a sudden, the offense just looks a, a lot different. Now when there was a handoff, there was actual motion going on. Now when there's uh, the misdirection that Matt Canada is bringing into the offense, lots of it, by the way, maybe even more than what was anticipated after the camp that they had, there was a purpose to it. There was significance to it. When there was misdirection, the stuff that Matt Canada has installed in the offense— there was something that accompanied it. There was a real live runner hitting real live holes. And in turn, expanding the possibilities for passes downfield because now the defense has to respect your run. Benny Snell made that happen. Yeah, he got some good blocks. Yeah, he's got a Hall of Fame quarterback there with him. But Benny Snell principally made that happen, and now they're going to show him the sideline again. I know I'm getting ahead of myself. Nobody's announced anything yet or whatever, but I'm just telling you, I sense this. I sense this, and you're going to you're going to hear more about it today, and I, I can promise you you're going to end up sensing the same thing. And it's, it's not right. It's this kind of thinking that ends up holding the Steelers back, especially as it relates to the offense and creativity and ambition. You can't just commit to a guy and say he's our guy because you know we 
I don't know, value how hard he works or whatever else it is. It's easy when you're around James Conner, and I've been around him a lot, to see why people get that vibe from him because he is that intense and he's determined and you swear he's the guy that's going to run through that cement wall for you. And coaches naturally gravitate to athletes like that. Any sport, any level. They love that. But there also comes a time when you have to evaluate availability. Funny, but Tomlin is always talking about the value of being available to your team, making yourself available. Participation is the word he uses most commonly. Participation matters. It does seem to matter to everyone with the exception of Connor. I can't state this strongly enough. Snell needs to start this weekend, not because they necessarily need him to beat the Broncos or he's going to be the single difference. I just believe that you can't look at everything in isolated segments. And by that, I'm referring to Connor's injuries. The Steelers love to do that with Connor. They've all done it. I've heard Kevin Colbert do it with relation to Connor just a few months ago. He pointed to each of Connor's injuries last season as saying, well, if this hadn't happened, then that. And he was really unlucky here. And then this situation here, he had no control over that. So we really don't have any problem with that. What? What? I mean, look, you get hurt enough, you're injury prone. I'm sorry. I don't like the label either. Athletes really hate it. But it does happen to some guys. Some guys are just built sturdier than others. You'll notice that there's no real common injury in Connor's history. It's just different body parts. It's different things. The fact that he worked really hard and prepared himself and everything else, that's nice. Put that to violin and piano music and make a commercial out of it. But don't force him onto the field because of it. Not when you have a better option in Benny Snell. And they do. Right now, they do. Am I guilty of looking at Benny Snell from too small a sample size himself? Maybe. But I don't care. It's a short season. It's just 16 games. Every week you're living in the now, in the NFL. Benny Snell's your now, right now. He's your best chance to beat the Broncos from that positional perspective. Put him out there. Stop being weird about this stuff. It's one of the things that holds the Steelers back. When you have a high-ceiling guy, let him show his ceiling. This segment of Daily Shot is always brought to you by the personal injury law firm of Luxembourg, Garbett, Kelly, and George. They represent people who are hurt in car accidents, who need help with workers' comp, who are filing medical malpractice claims. The attorneys at LGKG pride themselves in doing what they say they're going to do. It's important to them that when they make you a promise, they keep that promise. These gentlemen have been doing that 
as well as their predecessors, for more than 80 years. LGKG has offices in Cranberry, Newcastle, Beaver Falls, Butler, Elwood City. And you can learn more about them at lgkg.com or by calling 888-842-5454. When I come back, I'm going to switch up to baseball. But don't switch out. Don't switch out. I think you're going to want to hear this. Back, the Pirates lost to the Reds last night in Cincinnati by a score of one to nothing, and do at least try to look a little surprised when I say that. It seems like a bunch of their games have been by that score, and certainly a bunch of them have had the goose egg on their end of the ledger. They can't hit. I, I've never in a lifetime of watching the Pirates ever seen a team that not only can't hit, but can't even walk into the batter's box with anything resembling a professional approach. Right now, in that lineup, there's one player going in there with a completely professional approach. He's got a plan when he goes in there. He's cool about it. And he executes it. That's Key Brian Hayes. I, you knew that's who I was going to say. There are a couple other guys who are at least having competitive at-bats in Colin Moran, Eric Gonzalez, uh, to a lesser extent maybe Jacob Stallings. And then there's everyone else. I've just never seen anything like it. I've never seen a group of hitters do something one year, or even for a couple of years in a couple of their cases, and then just in unified fashion fall off a cliff the next year. I'm talking Wiley Coyote splat into the canyon. That's how bad Adam Frazier, Josh Bell, Kevin Newman, Gregory Polanco, <laughs> and uh, and the one that I, I want to bring up here specifically and single out is Brian Reynolds. Of all three Pittsburgh teams that I cover, I'm not sure that I can cite a bigger individual disappointment than Reynolds. And I'm trying to use the term disappointment in the proper context, meaning you expected this and you got that. Um, when you look from a team standpoint, obviously the Penguins going out in four games to the Canadians uh, is bad. I don't know that there's anybody individually that I would look at and say, boy, I was really disappointed in that guy out of the Penguins' performance. The Steelers' season is only one game old, and they won, so I'm not going to have a grand disappointment there either. So Reynolds jumps out. Reynolds jumps out. Um, Polanco didn't play last year, really. Uh, Bell has at least looked a little bit better since his awful start. But Reynolds, I, I, I don't get it. I don't get it. This player was 
as close to automatic when it comes to consistency as a rookie as any rookie uh, I've covered. And again, this is encompassing all sports. He was so mature about it, so sure of himself, but without being at all cocky, it was just, this is what I've done my whole life, and this is what I'm doing. This is what I did in college, this is what I did in the minors, and this is what I'm doing here. So there, what, what was there to get all wound up about? And he didn't. He stayed that way the whole way through, not a single slump. Uh, even his streaks, his tears weren't all that remarkable. Do you know what I'm saying here? It's not like he got super, super hot and it skewed his statistics. He just went out there and just hit everybody. And he did it everywhere. He did it to bad pitchers and good pitchers. He did it in Pittsburgh and he did it on the road. He did it from both sides of the plate. And on top of that, he continued to develop into a at least a decent defensive left fielder and then this he's batting right now 174 brian reynolds through two months almost two months is batting 174 he's got four home runs handful of doubles but way more often than not he's not even making contact he's not going up there with anything resembling, to go back to what I was just mentioning, a plan. He digs himself into two-strike holes, and then he stays passive on the two-strike count, like he's just waiting to work himself into a better count instead of hitting his way out of it. It's maddening to watch. More than any player on this roster, Brian Reynolds and his at-bats have been maddening to watch principally because you know he's not at all far removed, meaning just last year, from being exactly the opposite player. I don't have this answer. This isn't one of those cases where you... When you're in my position, you're on my side of the fence, that you try to come up with solutions. I'm not a hitting coach. I'm not a hitter. I'm not Reynolds to know what he feels like when he's at his best and what's gone wrong since then. I'm not Rick Eckstein to know what the differences are between where he was last year when he was just squaring up and swinging within a really small quadrant of the strike zone the way Eckstein was effectively teaching all of his hitters to do and to lay off anything else, even if it's in the strike zone. Something's happened. Uh, ultimately, it's on the player. It, it always is. It always is. People like me and you can blame a hitting coach. We can blame a manager. We can blame development people along the way up the ladder. But those people come and go, and some of them have already come and gone in this organization. Jacob Cruz, who was Rick Eckstein's assistant hitting coach, took a lateral job 
with the Brewers. And before you think this was all Jacob Cruz, remember that he's with the Brewers now, and the Brewers have the biggest mystery in all of baseball with the precipitous fall-off of Christian Yelich. Reynolds has to figure this out. He has to do this himself. He can get advice. He can have people in his ear. He can go back to his high school coach, his college coach, uh, mom and dad, whatever it takes. And that does happen. You sometimes get really great answers from people who watched you growing up because they'll know what you've done in the past to get out of a slump or what maybe the way you held your hands or whatever. Uh, Adam Frazier, before he went on his big tear in the middle of 2019, credited a phone call to his dad. Simple as that. My dad looked at my hands. He was watching a game on TV. He said, that's not where your hands are supposed to go. That's not where you had them in the past. Moved his hands, and all of a sudden he was Babe Ruth for about two weeks. Reynolds has to figure this out. And he'd better. He'd better, because if you think the Pirates are in trouble right now because of their performance in a 60-game season that very few people are even going to remember moving forward, try to picture the job that Ben Charrington has in building up this franchise both at the minor league level and at the Pittsburgh level, if some of his main guys and one of his very main guys just turns out to be a false alarm. It's 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 scary. It, it's not something that you even want to think about if you're a Pirates fan. This is hard enough. Ben Charrington's job would have been hard enough in his first year, his first two years, his first three years. Even if Reynolds and Newman and Bell and Frazier had all been the same players they were in 2019, he still would have had an uphill climb. Under these circumstances, oh boy. Um, On that note, I'll be heading out to PNC Park tonight. They open a series with the St. Louis Cardinals at 7.05. I'll write a column from there. No one will read it. And then after that, I'll just go right back to writing about football again, and everyone will read that. But I feel like this is their last homestand, and I'm going to make at least a couple of trips over there and try to appreciate what I can with my own eyes, although heaven knows it's getting harder and harder to do with each passing game. I did promise you at the beginning of the show that I was going to mention something about the the success of these podcasts. I first want to remind you that this segment is brought to you by our friends at the Greater Pittsburgh Community Food Bank. If you are in need of food assistance, meaning you or someone you know, or if you would just like to support the Greater Pittsburgh Community Food Bank and their mission of feeding people in need, eliminating hunger in our region, go to the web and visit pittsburghfoodbank.org. Spell out the first three words, too. Don't do a PGH or anything like that. PittsburghFoodBank.org. It's a really good website, extremely easy to use. One dollar is all it takes to provide enough food for up to five meals. Yesterday, actually the last two days, we've set download records with our original podcasts. And that includes this show, Daily Shot, as well as the 
also daily Steelers podcasts and Pirates podcasts that that we do. Chris Carter and Dale Lawley on the Steelers, Alex Stump and Noah Hiles on the Pirates. They're both terrific shows that put a lot of heart, a lot of imagination into their work. And of course, being who they are and being around the teams, they're going to offer you inside information that you can't get just from you know, regular old radio people who just sit in their studios and pontificate. We hope that that's something that kind of offsets uh, what we do here from regular radio. Uh, we have reporters who are on the scene. We're coming to you from the road. We're coming to you from the stadium. We're coming to you from the inside, and that'll apply all the more once the coronavirus thing subsides and we're able to get back in the locker rooms and do our jobs normally. The feedback that we've gotten from people to this has been overwhelming and very gratifying. And I'd like to think that in this case, the numbers don't lie. Yesterday, uh, the day before yesterday, actually, was the first day that we broke through 10,000 downloads in a day. And then we went 700 higher than that yesterday with 10,827 Um we're proud of that, and at the same time, we also feel like this is just the beginning. If you like what you hear of these podcasts, go to your platform and leave us, you know, you do the thing where you hit the five stars or whatever it is and leave us a nice little review. It, it takes like four seconds of your time. Hey, I really like listening to these guys, or boy, that Carter, he's he's just a real hoot or whatever. I don't know. <laughs> whatever you got. But... Leave something, it makes a difference. And the reason for that is when people now go, let's say, to Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts or Stitcher, Spotify, Overcast, Anchor, wherever it is that you happen to listen to us, they'll just type in, like, Pittsburgh Steelers or Pittsburgh Penguins or Pittsburgh Pirates. And if we're getting not just good traffic but good reviews and good stars and everything— we move higher up those search rankings, so we'll find people, we'll reach people who we aren't even reaching with our website, believe it or not. Podcasts are a completely different world. Audio is a different world. So the success of the podcasts can help build up the success of the website itself because maybe they'll listen to this and they'll listen to, you know... Carter and Lolly and say, man, I really like what these guys have to say about the Steelers, then go check out their coverage on our site. So everything kind of cross-pollinates and, and benefits each other. Basically, this is my very long-winded way of saying thank you. Uh, we weren't sure where this was going to go. We weren't sure how it was going to go. Uh, so far, it's gone really, really well, and we're appreciative uh, of your part in that. Thank you so much for listening to this show. Your front door, your car, your gym locker, your gun. Safety is a habit. Learn more about how to keep guns safe and secure. Visit projectchildsafe.org.